This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We just had a before-air conversation about how we need to start getting on spring training planning, which is uh, a good sign. It's a good sign. It's a good sign and also a sign of just how unprepared we are for if you think like the second the season ends we go into grapefruit league and cactus league uh planning mode that is that is not the case but we go into let's think about as little as possible until after the holidays yes. and then the holidays hit and you're like we don't have to think about it yeah that and then you're like oh wait yeah no you no don't. we do we, we definitely do like i wrote this week something in a piece and i was like pitchers and catchers have to report in five weeks less than that in some places i saw some not all dates are out there yet but like pitchers and catchers for some places are february 12th uh which is wow a month and three days away yeah so that's crazy that is crazy Mm -hmm. um yeah so i guess uh i guess we should probably get on that (laughs) (laughs) so with that welcome in this week's episode of the show before the show podcast from milb.com episode number 191 he's sam dykstra my name is tyler mon um as always we will have some uh, some solid spring training coverage for you coming up in march um but yeah we finally had that discussion this morning and now it feels like all right, now it's kind of real. Uh, Josh Jackson and I, I think Josh and I are going to be tag teaming uh, Cactus League again. Josh said there was a chance that maybe he was going to have to go to the offices in New York, and and so we're still trying to nail down everything for uh, for Arizona. I'm still planning on being in Arizona. You're going to be in Florida, so we're going to have uh, on-the-ground coverage as always. Yeah, and, as uh, somebody who is in New York, I want Josh Jackson in Arizona. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for, yeah, for- especially like – I mean, it's March, like it won't be brutal, but if you got the chance. Of oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I just, I like it when you guys kind of tag team up the air, Same. the Cactus League and split things up. And Same. Thanks. I'm Sam. on the lonely trail Thanks. in uh, in the Thanks. Sunshine State. Josh, listening, maybe? <laughs> Hopefully. Josh always listens. Listen yeah. up. Listen up, Josh. Um, so uh, let's get started on this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, you can find us at milb.com slash podcast. We're on Google Play. We're on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your shows and leave us a rating and a review and subscribe wherever you found us and you can get in touch as well. Podcast at milb.com and uh, we'll kick it off. Prospect projections already here for the start to the 2019 season from one Sam Dykstra. And uh, Sam has kicked things off uh, a six-part tool shed series, an annual column based on the Fangraph Steamer 600 projections to look at how prospects would fare in the big leagues over a full major league season. Uh, American League East and National League East are out. The thing that is most insane (laughs) in these first couple of columns, this is a quote, According to Steamer, if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. received the same amount of plate appearances as everyone else in baseball, he would be the game's seventh most valuable position player right away. That is incredible. Take us through the American League East projections first. for Yeah, so let's kind of set the table on how these work. Um, Steamer 600 is not a projection system that I came up with by any means. It's something that Fangraphs has. You can go on Fangraphs, play around with it yourself. Um, The reason why we use Steamer 600 for these prospect projections pieces is what I like about them is that it puts everybody on the same plane. Kind of Tyler already alluded to that. Um, Everybody's getting the same amount of plate appearances. Everybody buddies getting the same amount of innings pitched if they're a starting pitcher uh if they're a reliever they're getting the same amount so if you're a position player you're getting 600 plate appearances if you're a catcher you're getting 450 plate appearances starting pitchers get 200 innings relievers get 65 innings um basically in in what it does is it takes out trying to figure out playing time instead of uh saying like well vladimir guerrero jr is probably coming up in late april so we'll say he's gonna get you know 
510 plate appearances. Uh, just give everybody the same and see how they're going to do from there. Uh, it, according to you know past performance in the minor leagues, according to age, according to level, uh, all that kind of fun stuff. And then so everybody's on the same plane. You do that, and Vlad Jr. really sticks out. I mean, I, I, part of me wanted to write this AL East column about somebody else because I'm sure you're thinking this at home. You know, we bring him up if not every week, once every two weeks, um, because he's always making news and I get that. Um, but in terms of what I like about this column as well is it's literally us turning the page. Now we're looking forward to 2019. Uh, we're no longer talking about 2018 and Vlad jr. You know, flirting with 400 and, uh, probably being, should have been up in, in the second half. Now we're talking about what will he do in 2019 and it's no longer just like, well, you know, he's got a uh, 80 hit tool, potential 70 power tool, maybe even an 80 power tool. Uh, I wonder what that could look like. Here's some kind of hard data. Here's some it, it, projections. I get that they're not, you know, perfect by any means. Um, but projections almost by nature are usually conservative. I mean, guys coming up to the major leagues, that jump is huge it's really hard it's it's not easy and projection systems usually take kind of take the conservative end of the curve here um so even taking that into mind the fact that steamer 600 says if vladimir guerrero jr played a full season of major league baseball he would be worth 5.1 war right out of the gate that's without you know a little extra seasoning a triple a that's uh, you know, including some time of trying to figure out major league pitching, he would be worth 5.1 more around that area for him. And these are all third basemen, which is fascinating. Chris Bryant is 5.3. That's his steamer 600 projection. Anthony Rendon is 5.1. Alex Bregman is 4.9. These are the best third baseman in the game. Jose Ramirez is 5.4. So he's kind of a little bit further up there. But these are the best third basemen in the game. And Vlad Jr. is comfortably sitting right in the middle there. Manny Machado. Nolan Arenado is nowhere on this list, so it's a it's a biased anti-Coors. Well, system. obviously, yes, because every just, just so you right. all know. Everything is anti-Colorado and everything I write. Um, Chris Bryan, who plays half of his games in left field, he's, he's there. <laughs> Nolan's not. Okay. Anyway, please yes. continue. Uh, Manny Machado. No, Steamer's, Steamer's a good system. No, 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 no. It's fine. I get it. Um, one thing I will note is that I'm talking about war here. Uh, war by nature takes into account base running. It takes into account fielding. Uh, but Steamer 600, minor league defensive data, at least when it comes to like defensive run saved, ultimate zone rating, things like that, it's really tough to get for the minor leagues. So normally when they're projecting minor leaguers, guys without any major league experience, it just gives them kind of a fielding rating of zero. It's it's base, it's neutral, it's not plus, it's not minus. Uh, and that can kind of help out Vlad Jr. here. What we know about his you know scouting profile is that he's not fully formed at third base. He could probably actually be a negative defender there. You know, maybe we take off a third of a win because of that. Maybe we're talking about 4.8. Um, but that still moves him down to like Alex Bregman level because his hitting tool is that good. Uh, according to WRC plus, and I quoted WRC plus for a different uh, guy over the weekend. I had people tweeting at me. I guess everybody doesn't know what that is. Basically, WRC plus is a tool where it boils everything about offensive performance down. And I'm talking about offensive performance at the plate. I'm not talking base running. Uh, you know, what are your average, your OBP? You're slugging OPS. We usually think about doing that. But what WRC plus does is it looks at what is the average. So average is 100. That's league average. Uh, anything above that is above average. Obviously, anything below that is below average. So Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s WRC plus is 138. That's his projected WRC plus. That's right even with Chris Bryant. That's above Manny Machado at 135. And how much have we talked about Manny Machado this this offseason as being one of the best overall performers in the game. Steamer thinks he would be a better hitter than Manny Machado right away, uh, which is fascinating to me. So, you know, when we think about what the AL Rookie of the Year discussion is look, going to look like next year, anecdotally, we've always said it's Vlad Jr. and then the field. Um, although the one person who tweeted at me trying to say, like, I think you'll find that Eloy Jimenez is also very good, and, and I do mention Eloy in the piece. Um, but he is second amongst projected war for position players next year, and he comes in at 3.3. 3. 
almost two full wins below Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, it's just it's amazing what Vlad Jr. could do. And if this is a conservative effort or uh, conservative estimate, it's it's not within you know the realm of or uh, you know it should be within the realm of our imagination to think he could be a seven win player next year. Um, which would make him you know, one of the best rookies in recent memory. And what he can do from there will be fascinating. So, um, you know, this is one of my favorite pieces every year. The fact that we started out in the AL East uh, and with Vlad Jr. Uh, you know, normally we started out with the AL East. We also have the NL East, which we'll talk about here in Strike 2. Um, kind of pure coincidence. But to start out with this type of bang is really, really cool. Um, just to go de- you know, further down the list, uh, looking at other position players, no other club ha- in the AL East has a position player rookie who is expected to have – uh, you know, a war above three and here Vlad Jr. is above five. So he really is in a class all his own. As much as I say, it's within the realm of possibility that he could be a seven war player. It's also possible he could be a three war player. I mean, there's a chance he could disappoint. You know, he's only coming off, you know, he's still a teenager right now. He'll be 20 for this year. Um, there might be some bumps in the road. This is not trying to say he's going to be an all timer right away. Um, but if these are the expectations, is is fascinating and I can't wait to see what happens when he does make the majors hopefully as quickly as possible I would love to see him on the opening day roster you know that might not be reasonable given the way the CBA works these days uh, but if, if this is what we're talking about for him for a full season I can't wait to see it happen by the way, how about um, the the field rating for Fangraphs, which is the uh, the primary defensive rating, um, and rates players relative to their average at their specific positions? Mike Trout has a negative zero point six field rating and still has a WAR two wins above replacement, better than any other player in baseball. Is a negative zero point six field rating and an eight point four WAR. The next best projected WAR in baseball is Mookie Betts at six point four. That's yeah, nice. I mean, Not I wouldn't look too much into the big league side of things, but still, yeah, that's just no. crazy. That's how good Mike Trout yes, is. Yes, that is how good Mike Trout is. And I, I wouldn't look too much into negative 0.6. I mean, it's basically like right. league average. Uh, it's negative. Yeah, right. But you still think about like, oh, man, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, probably somewhat comparable. And then it's like, no, Mookie Betts grossly better in this category and still massively undervalued. Not undervalued, but not of the same value as Mike right. Trout which is just how good Mike Trout is. Mike Trout's nuts. Um, Strike two, National League East, as Sam noted. Take it away. Yeah, so the thing that stands out to me in the NL East, there's lots of things, actually. This is a fascinating division. I could have chosen multiple ways to lead this column with. I could have gone with Peter Alonso. Peter Alonso is kind of the NL East version of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Probably should have been up at the second half of last year. Wasn't, so now we're facing questions of when will he be up this spring. Um, Didn't go that route. Could have gone the Atlanta Braves route. I feel like I've written tons about that in terms of how deep their pitching is. And they have a lot of major league ready arms as they showed down the stretch. Um, You know, between Luis Gohara and, um, you know, Cole Allard and Mike Soroka was up even before that. That, uh, you know, going down the list, Kyle Wright got called up. Uh, Tuki Toussaint could be their number five starter out of the gate this year. Lots to like in that system as well. Could have led there. But I think one of the biggest questions about this offseason in general, minor league baseball, major league baseball, what have you, is where will Bryce Harper sign? Uh, we're still going through the Bryce Harper sock. Bryce Harper saga, as I called it in the piece. Uh, it's January 9th. He still hasn't signed. Hopefully it's because he's out there recruiting offers that he hasn't found one that he likes yet. Hopefully the team gets him a a large contract that he's richly deserved over seven major league seasons. Um, But what are the ripple effects for that for minor league baseball, Uh, specifically when it comes to prospects? If Harper leaves, somebody has to fill that void. You know, do the Nationals go out and try to sign another outfielder? Well, what I kind of found by this and what I already knew, you know, this is kind of confirming something I already thought ahead of time, is the Nationals are almost uniquely ready to replace Harper. Um, yes, they there are rumors out there that they offered him 10 years, $300 million before he technically hit free agency. And maybe that offer has even been upped a little bit as they really want to keep him in town. Perfectly fine. You know, if you've really gotten to know a player, you really got to like that player. He's, you know, helped you get to division titles and to the playoffs in the past and you want to bring him back. That's great. Should he leave? Should he go to somewhere like the Dodgers, the White Sox, the Phillies, uh, some of these other teams that are 
been rumored to tie, be tied with him. Who kind of fills that void is Victor Robles, who's right now MLB.com's number four overall prospect. Somebody we really liked coming into the year, um, but then on, unfortunately, I think it was the fourth game of the year, had a hyperextended left elbow. He was diving for a, a ball in center field. Unfortunately, didn't have you know didn't make the catch because he landed on his elbow out for three months kind of pushed back his timeline. But even before that, he made his major league debut in 2017 when the Nats kind of used him as a pinch runner slash outfield specialist. Um, you brought him up again last year in September to kind of get some same looks in that way. And Steamer really likes uh, Victor Robles as a rookie right now. If you go to that NL East piece, uh, I kind of compare him to rookie eligible outfielders and where he ranks in there. As of right now, according to war projections, uh, he would be third amongst rookie eligible outfielders behind Jimenez, who I mentioned last time, and Brandon Lau, uh, the Rays prospect, who is kind of a second baseman slash outfielder. I included him because Steamer gave him an outfielder projection, so I, I wanted to include him here. But Robles, you know, if you are going to fill Bryce Harper's role with an outfield prospect, you're not going to do much better than Victor Robles. Um, that 2.2 war comes with a 101 WRC+. plus, So... You know, Steamer thinks he'd be league average right away, which is pretty good for what we think he can do. But what he can also do really well and where he gets the highest grades on his scouting report are through, you know, fielding. He's got a plus plus glove. He's got a plus plus arm. He's incredibly fast, might be the fastest player the Nationals have in the majors or minors. So he's going to bring to you base running. He's going to bring to you. He's going to catch tons of balls in center field. Uh, you kind of slide over Adam Eaton to right field. You've already got Juan Soto on left. That's a pretty good outfield right away. Uh, and, you know, looking at where Robles would fit, again, um, his war projection is 2.2. Eaton's is 2.4. Soto's is 4.2. Uh, in terms of outfields, that's pretty well established. Uh, you know, he'd be better right away than Howie Kendrick in the outfield. He'd be better right away than Michael A. Taylor, who doesn't bring much with the bat, but brings a lot with the glove. Um, so, you know, if the Nats are to lose Harper, they, they won't skip too many beats. And I kind of hope they put that money elsewhere. They've already done a little bit of that with signing Patrick Corbin this offseason. Um, but you know, in terms of losing a generational talent, I would love to see what Victor Robles can do over a full season now that he's fully healthy. Uh, I think that bat, as he matures, will be a little bit better than league average for sure. I think he, he has a chance to grow into pop and kind of surprise some people in that way. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's not that I don't want Harper to sign in D.C., but I do want to see what Robles can do. Uh, with a full-time role. Maybe if, you know, the Nats do re-sign Harper, they kind of use Robles as a chip to kind of get some other, you know, fill some other hole. Uh, we know they have a big one right now at second base. Um, maybe they try to go after, you know, a trade partner instead of a free agent and use Robles as something like that. Uh, that would be really interesting. Maybe they use him in a trade for JT Real Muto, who we know they've been tied to in the past. We'll see. Um, but Robles is ready. Uh, I would love to see what he can do when, you know, his full set of tools in the major league, uh, you know, April, April through September, um, but no matter what, he'll be competing for a major league spot uh, come this spring. And strike three this week, the uh, spring training deadline for uh, nerdy sports writers to figure out their trips is approaching as well, which means that there are also spring training invitations rolling in for, um, you know, the people who make an impact in baseball um top prospects being invited to uh spring trainings big league spring trainings across the major league baseball map um sam when you look at uh obvious prospects who are going to be there there's a whole lot of those we know what Vlad guerrero jr is uh the spotlight is going to be on him in spring training and uh fernando tatis jr and some of these other guys if you were looking at somebody who is somewhat under the radar a non-obvious prospect that you want to see in big league camp this year who would it yeah be? so we kind of kicked this off i think over the weekend uh um, the Pirates extended some, um, you know, non-roster spring invites, and one of them was Cabrian Hayes, who I think we all expe expected. But um, that'll be really cool. I'm excited to see him because he's somebody I think can really stand out in terms of what do you do in spring training? It's a lot of fielding work. It's a lot of cage work. It's a lot of that kind of stuff. And I think he really does stand out in those areas, especially over at third base. Gold yeah, everybody expects him. Number two prospect. In that right. System. Everybody expects him to be – 
gold glove capable at third base, which is fascinating. Um, so wouldn't be surprised if he impresses a lot of folks. Um, the, the guy I want to mention, though, is, is technically a top 100 prospect. So a lot of you have probably heard about him. Um, but that's number 83 overall prospect Luis Patino in the San Diego Padre system. The reason I bring him, him up, he's coming off his age 18 season. Performed incredibly well at Class A Fort Wayne, was kind of one of the breakout prospects alongside Chris Paddock uh, in the Padre system last year. Uh, age 18 season, put up a 2.16 ERA at Class A Fort Wayne, 98 strikeouts, 24 walks, and 83 and a third innings. Uh, kind of got cut off with those 83 and a third innings because, again, you know, first full season, don't want to push him too hard. And maybe they don't want to do that this spring either. But what stood out to me at the winter meetings is I sat in on Padres manager uh, Andy Green's kind of mini press conference. And as you can imagine, a lot of that discussion was about Fernando Tatis Jr., Luis Arias, uh, Francisco Mejia, a lot of the prospects. And at some point he was asked, you know, what do you see in these guys? What do you see in the, the younger you know, generation coming up? And he was talking about Paddock for a while and how hard he works. And then he started listing off some names. He said, Mackenzie Gore and everything I hear about Luis Patino has been fantastic. And actually, you know what? I'm going to stop there because once you start listing names, you're going to forget some. In so doing, I will say the fact that Patino made it before the cutoff uh, is fascinating to me. That tells me Green has really liked either the reports or the actual video he's seen out of Patino. Uh, the reports I've heard are, you know, the fastball is fantastic. Uh, the slider has a chance to be a real plus pitch. The curveball could be above average once he makes it more consistent. He's got some work to do on the changeup. But the Padres are kind of in a moment right now where they want everybody to see the young talent. They know they're kind of on the cusp of this. I wanted to see them take stock of everybody they have. Uh, Patino kind of fits in that even if he's two, three years away, even if he doesn't get a non-roster invite, I, I would still love to see him get a couple innings, see what his stuff can do against, you know, the double A, triple A guys who are playing the seventh inning over there in the Cactus League. Um, you know, kind of solidify what's already in Green's mind about how well he can do right now and how hard of a worker he is. Um, so that would be really cool to me. Uh you know, see what he can do, how he can start his age 19 season. Um, will it happen? I, I, you know, this isn't any inside info, but if Andy Green likes him as much as he mentioned there in Vegas, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets at least a couple looks at big league camp this spring. I got a top 100 guy too. And I don't know if this is a non obvious one um, because it's sort of, it's too much in my wheelhouse. So outside, maybe it is non obvious to me. It's somewhat obvious, but um, the, uh, the Colorado Rockies are at a a crossroads with Nolan Arnato possibly leaving after this year, Colton Welker last year, who is the number 94 ranked prospect uh, in baseball right now. uh, Number two in the Rocky system. He's a third baseman. He's a guy who uh, Rockies have some pretty high hopes for, but was just a class A advance last year. I think it'd be really interesting to see him major league camp this year especially with the looming prospect that you could see the departure of a, a franchise luminary at that position I don't think we'll see him in the major leagues this year but if it's a case where you think um, this is somebody that we might be relying on in 2020 might as well get him in there plus I think the the dynamic there the energy there between uh, a guy who may be weighing his options of leaving and the guy who may be his heir apparent would be fascinating to me um, so that's one that, that stuck out of my mind for 2019 yeah and, and a, a lot of these will be coming out you know, in the weeks to come. So, yeah. If not, you know, days to come, a lot of these. So check the site whenever a top 100 prospect gets a non roster invite, we'll have something on the site. So if Patino gets it, if Welker gets it, you'll hear about it from us uh, in the coming days and weeks. And that's three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. Hey, everybody. Just wanted to jump in here real quick. Um, Some news broke after we recorded the podcast on Wednesday. Um, This came from the San Francisco Chronicle and the great Susan Slusser, A's beat reporter. Um, News broke that the Oakland Athletics are expecting their fourth-ranked prospect, Kyler Murray, to declare for the NFL draft this weekend. Um, It's been reported in the past that the, uh, you know, it, the talented quarterback slash outfielder out of Oklahoma uh, was basically going to choose one or the other. He was either going to be a baseball player or a football player. If he declares to the NFL draft, it's pretty clear that he would, um, you know, choose the gridiron over the diamond. Uh, you know, for us here in the baseball community, that's a little bit 
upsetting uh, to lose such a talent. You know, Kyler Murray was drafted ninth overall last year's draft. He signed a $4.66 million um, signing bonus to make that work. If if he does end up choosing football and puts fo- baseball aside, there are ways that the A's could kind of claw, claw some of that money back. Um, but, you know, this is a, a kind of the best of – Kyler Murray's world in a way and and before we get down on him for not choosing baseball um, you know this is a kid who had a chance to be a star in two different sports and um, you know when he got drafted last year in baseball probably didn't envision being a Heisman winning quarterback this year in Oklahoma ends up doing that can we really blame him for you know after being the best college player uh, in the sport this fall trying to make it professionally in that way um you know does this hurt the a's yeah i mean they lose their fourth ranked prospect they lose a first round pick or at least they lose a pick they've already made um it's upsetting in that way but as we all know baseball drafts are not the same as say a basketball draft or a football draft where if you don't hit on a top 10 pick that could have big repercussions for five ten years down the line um essentially the way this works is you know the a it's almost like making a big pick and, and seeing him flounder in the minors. Um, you just don't get to see the major league product of that. Uh, so, you know, it, it kind of is what it is. Um, it would have been great to see what Kyler Murray could do on the field, uh, at least the, the baseball field anyway. Uh, you know, very toolsy potential outfielder. That's why he was drafted so high. Uh, you know, the A's knew what they were getting themselves into when they took him at this spot last year. It just doesn't work out. Um, who knows? You know, there might be some more twists and turns in, in this story. But if the A's are preparing for him to, uh, you know, declare for the NFL draft, probably not a good sign for his baseball future. Uh, we'll be keeping an eye on this, seeing how things kind of become official and all that. Um, but uh, wanted to address that it, news broke up after we recorded three strikes uh, yesterday, Wednesday. Um, so wanted to address that this morning. Um, so. That, that's been a foul ball, and now we're going to turn to this week's interview uh, with number four Dodgers prospect and number 82 overall prospect in the game, according to MLB.com, Gavin Lux. We had a great conversation about you know his past playing in Wisconsin, uh, his breakout 2018, what he did to kind of change things and, and improve himself after kind of a down 2017, and uh, how he sees himself fitting in a Dodgers organization that is all, always trying to compete at the major league level, uh, making it sometimes hard for prospects to break through. Uh, so here's my interview with Gavin Lux. Joining us this week on the Show Before the Show podcast, the Minor League Baseball podcast, is number four Dodgers prospect and number 82 overall prospect, according to MLB.com, Gavin Lux, who is joining us from uh, the the city of his parent club at Los Angeles. Uh, Gavin, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I uh, appreciate you for having me. Yeah, no, thanks so much for taking the time. So, like I just said, you you are currently in L.A. Uh, you just flew out there yesterday. Uh, what brings you out there right now, uh, you know, at this point in the offseason? Yeah, uh, me and a couple other um, prospects are working a kids camp um, for uh, – it's actually at the stadium. So we're working that and then doing like a strength camp, kind of mini camp type deal. Um, and then just kind of doing stuff around LA and kind of getting familiar with the city, I guess. So it's a pretty good experience and it's fun, uh, being with other guys too, you know? Yeah, no, I'm sure based on your experience so far in LA, what is your favorite part of, uh, Southern California or LA specifically? Ooh, that's tough. Um, I don't know. There's just, there's like so many good restaurants, I guess, uh, it's like, you know, every night you could go get a different food spot and it'll be really good. Um, uh, that and then, you know, the weather's perfect, especially where I'm from and then coming here, it's like night and day. So uh, I definitely enjoy the weather. Yeah, we should mention that you are from Wisconsin and we'll get to questions about that in a little bit. But, um, you know, kind of staying in the present here, uh, where are you right now in your offseason prep? I, I know, you know, you said there's some strength training that you'll be doing over there in L.A. Um, but at this point, you know, early January, spring training's coming up next month, reporting dates for, for major leaguers. Um, where are you as you kind of ramp up for 2019? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm getting anxious and getting ready to go here. Um, I'm pretty much, you know, 
full in, all in for uh, my workouts right now. And so basically I'm just hitting and doing some defense work and trying to maintain that strength and then gain some weight um, as we're going into the season. But right now I'm kind of full swing and um, kind of all in on everything right now. So definitely, definitely getting anxious. Yeah, no, I bet. I think that's true of everybody listening and certainly us. Uh, we were talking earlier about planning spring training and how trying to get ahead of it. So I think everybody can kind of feel it coming around the corner. Uh, where are you right now in terms of like your mental state, uh, where you are now compared to where you were January last year? Um, because you're coming off a really strong year between Rancho Cucamonga and Tulsa, hitting 324 both spots. Your OPS was above 900. Uh, in 2017, it was a much more different year for you. You hit 244 with an OPS below 700. Um, you know, what was it like? this time last year coming off the season you did in 2017 and kind of compare that to where you feel you are now uh, coming off a strong 2018. Yeah, I think honestly I'm having a similar mindset um, and I kind of kept the same routine uh, pretty much. Um, you know, didn't really change a thing as far as that goes. Um, you know, all the stuff I did last year, I'm doing the same stuff this year, uh, working out at the same place at the same time, hitting with the same guys, um, doing defense work with the same guys. So really, like, my mindset uh, was like, well, if it worked last year, you know, why, why change it and then try to switch something up. So um, I'm really keeping everything pretty much the same as I did last year, and, you know, that's, that's really about it. So kind of flip of that question then is, what were you doing differently last offseason? I mean, the one before that, you were preparing for your first full season. You might not know right. what it's like to play 100-plus games. Obviously, last offseason, you knew what that was like. So what were you doing differently? Um, you know, Some of the stuff I've read is that you, at least the Dodgers felt like you bulked up going into 2018. How much of the, your focus was on that uh, going into your second full campaign? Yeah, no, like like you said, you, you don't really know what to expect out of that first full season until you kind of go through it. Um, I felt like, you know, I was I kind of wore down um, right around the All-Star break my first year. So I kind of just uh, I tried to put on as much weight and strength as possible. And then um, I felt like my first full season, I kind of fell into a trap of always trying to change my swing or make an adjustment, you know, that's not needed just because I wasn't doing well and um you know I never really found like that comfort level with my swing my first full season and last year I just kind of told myself like you know you can make little adjustments here and there but we're going to stick to kind of this pretty much same swing you know we're not going to toy with too much or mess with too much um and uh just kind of that consistency I think helped a lot so along those lines, um, you know, what do you feel like was the hitting setup that you found comfortable and that you decided, you know, this is it. This is not what I'm going to tinker anymore with. Yeah, I think just literally getting in an athletic setup. Um, and then just with my, it was a lot of my bat pass stuff I worked on. Um, just trying to get on plane with the pitch um, and trying to honestly hit the ball in the air more. Um, that and then kind of loading in my back hit more and, um, you know, trying to load that up and, and get more power out of that. And I think those, just really those three things helped me a lot. Um, I never had that feeling of really getting into my back hip um, before. And then as soon as I kind of figured that out and got that feeling, um, you know, it was like a totally different feel. Yeah, so when do you feel like things really unlocked for you uh, last year? You know, how early in the season did it feel like this could be kind of a special year for you? <laughs> I actually started the season 0 for 21, and I was like, oh, so, no. Not then. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, uh, but it was like probably like our fourth or fifth series. Um, I started to hit a lot better. Um, and then from there, like our hitting coach, uh, Justin Vealy, um, you know, was awesome. And then always, you know, if something felt wrong, we'd go on video and – you know, make that little adjustment, and, and he was awesome, too. Um, but, yeah, uh, I would say, like, the fourth or fifth series where I, I finally felt locked in. 
Yeah, and kind of going to the other side then, if that's how the season started for you, it certainly ended on a much stronger note. Uh, you had a really strong Texas League playoffs after getting up, called up to Tulsa, uh, hitting two homers in eight games. He hit 424 in those eight games. And the drillers themselves swept the Texas League finals, uh, beating San Antonio, which was a strong San Antonio team, 3 nothing. Uh, what was it like ending the season on that note? Obviously, everybody wants to be raising a trophy and holding up a banner, but what does that do for your offseason when the last thing you did on an official minor league field is, you know, sweep your league finals? Yeah, no, I think, you know, everyone does. Like you said, everyone wants to end, end the note on the season on, on a high note. Um, and, yeah, like that team, there were so many good dudes and so many good teammates and obviously the coaching staff. So, I mean, it was it was super cool to – able to join them in, in August and, um, you know, try to help them win that championship. But, uh, yeah, no, it was just, it was awesome, man. Like that was one of the better, uh, more fun baseball experiences in my life for sure. And, uh, not only did Tulsa sweep, but Rancho Cucamonga swept as well. Um, obviously you're not on the team at that point, but a, do you, how much do you get to celebrate with that team afterwards? And, you know, how much were you following along for their Cal League run? And, you know, how much even more pride do you take out of something like that, knowing the two teams you played on this year both get rings at the end of the year? Yeah, no, I was following along, uh, you know, as, as long as we were playing, you know, I had it pulled up on, on my phone. And a lot of guys, quite a few guys in Tulsa, too, also played in Rancho. Um, so it was, it was pretty cool watching uh, the updates. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, both the teams um, are full of great dudes, and, and obviously they both won championships. So um, it's just saying something about the organization, I think, too, considering all our stateside teams were in playoffs also. So um, yeah, I think it was just it was, a, it was a fun year, and, and obviously a lot of winning happened. Uh, so it was, it was definitely it was definitely fun. And when you say that says something about the organization. What is it about the Dodgers' philosophy or um, anything you've noticed You know, now that you've been in the system for three years? Um, what do you feel like the Dodgers do to kind of help facilitate these winning teams in the minor leagues? Because, you know, to the fan at home, uh, normally they just care about prospect development, and you guys are with the team every day. You guys want to be winning. Um, what do you notice about what the Dodgers are doing that helps you guys, you know, get to this point at the end of the year where, like you said, so many teams are making the playoffs up and down the ladder? I think it's like uh, it's a lot of culture. Like you kind of build a winning culture. Um, you know, if it's as long as it's in, it, it could be on the field, it could be in the clubhouse, you know, or off the field. Um, I think you know we they kind of instill that in us of like you know building a culture and a winning culture as you move up. Um, uh, I think that's you know one of the biggest things. You know, I, I know everyone always thinks uh, minor league baseball. You know, it's not about winning or anything like that which when you know like you said when we're playing every day you know like we don't want to go out there and lose like we want to win so um yeah i think it's just building a winning culture and and being a good teammate and um i think that goes a long way so and, and along those same lines uh what's the trickle down effect of playing in an organization like the dodgers you know obviously recent times consistently winning the nl west last year making the world series um you know they're consistently striving to be a good major league club um but when you're a prospect coming through and they're doing so many improvements on the major league side um what's that like compared to you know maybe somebody you've talked to in a rebuilding organization in which they're always trying to lean on young talent uh you know i know alex verdugo is somebody like that who i think a lot of people think is major league ready um but is, has struggled to find a spot in la um what what kind of trickle down effect do you guys kind of see in terms of you know the major league team always being competitive and what that does for you guys as prospects yeah i think you know like you said it's super competitive um you know you definitely gotta earn it um and it definitely goes all the way down to the organization. Like there's dudes at every level, you know, there's, um, you know, spring training, instructs, folly, like all that is, is super competitive with just guys in our own organization. Um, so it's, yeah, it's good. You know, you want to be on a team, a major league team that's winning too, you know, it's, um, it's good for that. Um, so I don't, it's, yeah, like you said, uh, it's, um, you know, it's, you would definitely want to win at the big league level too. So um, it's just super competitive. So it's, uh, I think it's good, and it's good for development too. So, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and in terms of where you are going to fit in this organization someday, um, you know, you were drafted a, as a shortstop, uh, mostly played shortstop last year, but actually got in a couple games at second base as well during your time at, at Rancho. Uh, you know, how much has the organization talked to you about defensive versatility going forward? And um, if you had a pick, where would you kind of hope your defensive home would be? Yes, I mean, I think uh, obviously my first love would be shortstop. Uh, you know, I always grew up playing there. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, the more positions you can play, the better. Um, so whether that's second base or um, the outfield, you know, I think wherever it is, um, as long as I get to get some at-bats and get to hit, um, you know, I would, I would like to stay in the infield. But, you know, like you said, it's you can't, can't hurt playing more positions. And what conversations have the Dodgers had with you about preparing for multiple positions in 2019? Or, are, you know, have you guys even talked about that coming out of uh, last season? Um, a little bit. Um, from what I know is I'll keep playing short. Um, you know, I think until I prove I can't play it or I can play it, you know. Um, but I, there hasn't been too much conversation about it. All right, fair enough. Well, well, we tease this a little bit up front at the interview, but uh, you are from Wisconsin. Uh, I, I believe in 2016 you were the first Wisconsin player taken in the first round since 1979. And then this last June, Jared Kalenic followed up with the Mets as also a first-round pick. Uh, do you think there's anything to that about Wisconsin baseball getting noticed in these last couple of years? Is it just you two guys were hyper-talented at the same time? I know I've read some stories about you guys being fairly close and working out together, um, but you know, what does this say about the state of Wisconsin baseball, you think, the way you guys were drafted uh, you know, 2016 and 2018? I think I think it's definitely getting better. Um, I think now there's there's more facilities, indoor facilities, where in the winter if you can't get outside, it gives you a better chance to still be able to develop. Um, as far as like the place where I work out at um, hitters in, in Wisconsin, it's got a full indoor uh, field, you know, so you can do everything you need inside. Um, so there's not that. I mean, there's still obviously a little disadvantage, but. You know, it's uh, you definitely have a better chance to develop than if you're just sitting in a cage all day. You know, you can actually get outside on well indoors on a field and still be able to get that work in. But yeah, I think uh, the facilities are catching up, and um, you know, guys, I think are just getting better overall and working harder. And and I think guys from Wisconsin kind of play with a chip on their shoulders. Um, so I, you know, I think I definitely think it's not just uh, an anomaly. I think guys are definitely getting better. Yeah, and when you were going through the draft process in 2016, do you feel like you played with a chip on your shoulder when scouts were coming out and you knew you had to prove yourself a little bit more, I'm sure because of you know limited looks in the spring between weather and all that? Um, you know, How did you approach being from a cold-weather state and still having to prove yourself going into a, you know, what was a yeah, big no. draft for you? Yeah, I think I definitely had to play with a chip on my shoulder. Um, you know, everyone always says, oh, like, cold uh, cold weather shortstop like come on there's no way but <laughs> you know what I mean um but yeah I think I think I definitely did and obviously the weather you know doesn't help you know getting looked at uh when it's you know 25 and snowing some days you know um but yeah I think yeah everyone plays with the chip on their shoulder and I think I did too and um you know there's always just that stigma that cold weather guys aren't as good as, as warmer guys so I think um, you know that kind of made me mad a little bit so I kind of played mad <laughs> <laughs> I bet no it obviously worked out for you um, alright well two more and then we'll let you go um, you know looking forward at, at to 2019 like you said you're gearing up now you're kind of itching to get out there um, they're sending you to LA it's starting to feel a little bit more real um, but you know coming off double A the way minor leagues usually go once you hit double a major leagues are usually within reach um how close do you feel now um you know when you look forward to 2019 or maybe 2020 um you know how close do the major leagues really feel to you right now um i mean it definitely feels closer than than where it has in the past um i think i still have a lot of work to do and i uh, still a lot of things i need to get better on um so I think, you know, obviously it's, there's a vision in the tunnel that looks a little closer, but, um, 
you know, just kind of the way I am is uh, I still got a lot of work to do. So, um, yeah, like it's definitely, it looks closer than it did the past two years, but um, yeah, definitely still some work. All right, well, we'll end on this one. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Gavin's Twitter account is at the real Gavin Lux, which is very easy uh, to find <laughs> and, and confirm that it's actually you. Not only that, but you do have the blue check mark, so congrats on that. Um, but what I wanted to ask you about was your Twitter cover photo is Michael Jordan in a White Sox uniform uh, talking to Barry Bonds in a Giants uniform. Uh, which is very too very cool to you know obviously goats of the, their respective sports but now's your time to say it you are a, officially a double a hitter now uh are you a better double a hitter than michael jordan <laughs> uh dude I, I can't disrespect michael jordan like that uh, I, I plead the fifth I oh plead come on this fifth. is your one chance like you legitimately <laughs> were we could quote still okay that's, that's okay all. i think i got michael jordan hitting but i think he uh he might be a little just a hair better than me in basketball right the only time you're going to take him one-on-one is in the batting cage right we'll, t- we'll do it that way right very cool. Yeah, yeah, I think basketball, I don't have a chance. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> T- take some confidence in your own game that you are better than Michael Jordan in baseball. For sure. All right, Gavin. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, enjoy all the warm weather and your time in L.A. and uh, the last couple weeks before spring training. Um, thanks again for joining us and taking the time. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Benjamin Hill for this week's conversation uh, about all things business of minor league baseball. We previewed a series going into the offseason that is coming up. It's actually on the site today. If you're listening to it, we're recording on Wednesday. So if you're listening to it on Thursday, it's up right now. Uh, first of all, hello, Ben. Hello, Tyler. And uh, hello, Sam Dykstra, sitting to my right. Right today. Um, Correct. Um, the, the, uh, the making of a promo series. Um, you kind of went into the inner workings of how promotion gets put together with the Charleston River Dogs. Um, and we talked about this coming into the offseason of what the series could look like. But now that it's, it's coming here, um, take us through how it's gone so far putting this together and what's the, what's the first installment? Well, um, it's an interesting series. I mean, I think the idea is great, but I think like so many things in life, um, when you go about doing it, it turns out a little differently than you uh, expected. The idea was, you know, the promo seminar is in late September, early October, uh, which is rebranding next year as the Innovators Summit. So uh, we have to, going forward, remember to call the promo seminar the Innovators Summit. Um, It's taking place in El Paso next year, which is uh, the birthplace of the promo seminar. But that's neither here nor there. so this year's promo seminar, uh, during it was in Des Moines, and uh, I talked to Nate Courant, the uh, uh, promo promotions director for the Charleston River Dogs, with the idea that maybe he'd have an idea sparked during the promo seminar, and then I'd do a series following the evolution of this idea. Um, you know, problem is, is he had the inklings of an idea at the promo seminar that was hinted at in the first piece, which ran in October, and uh, so the follow-up, I was thinking like, okay, you hinted at it. Let's get into more detail, and then in part three, we'll talk about uh, you know when it's released on the details and, and bring in a lot more perspectives of other people in the organization uh, who who have put this prom- promotion together. But I think as it turns out, the promotion he was talking about at the promo seminar just did not work. <laughs> so, uh, but now we, we're talking about new ideas, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, a certain idea he has uh, and how that's formulating. And then when the team releases their promo schedule, probably next month, we'll have an in-depth piece uh, about that promotion. But I do think it still fits the basic premise of early off-season promo seminar time, brainstorming, and then uh, you know going back, checking in with your staff, seeing if you get the right permission, seeing if things are feasible, trying to loop in you know sales guys, make it sponsorable, trying to loop in community relations. Uh, and all the different elements that go into successful promotion. So it still uh, fits that bill. So tomorrow is part two of the series. I'm um, talking about uh, the evolution of their promo calendar as the off-season has progressed, and I'll follow up uh, probably later next month with a lot more detail about how a specific promotion came about. And then uh, I'll cover that said promotion in depth when it actually happens, uh, maybe on location, but at the very least uh, thoroughly from afar. So when we're kind of in this in-between period now, we're between idea stage and announcement stage, what happens now? I mean, what is it a lot of like legal checking, making sure you can do this? Is there communicating with other clubs to make sure either A, if they've done a promo before, how did it go? Or B, 
is this an original idea? We don't want to steal anything. Like what happens in this in between? Well, as you know, a lot of teams are, are totally cool to steal ideas. It's right. kind of the, uh, yeah. but I think uh, one of the reasons we picked the River Dogs and uh, Nate, you know, is this, this is a team and he's an individual who has a reputation for doing new things. You know, we had him and uh, his former operations director, Phil Geary, on this podcast um, during the season about their color night promotion, throwing color packets into the crowd. They're the kind of team that does unique, crazy, experiential promotions that really don't get stolen very often because other teams are like uh they don't want to call up they don't want to clean it up yeah. yeah they're like you know great you guys did that so um you know i'm focusing on something you know unique and kind of like last week when we were talking about new year's resolutions and i said my resolution for teams would be to challenge themselves to have one promotion on the schedule for every team that they can say no other team has done this before but of course a lot of promotions do emanate from the promo seminar and that a team says hey we did x and then teams all over uh you know this uh ballroom where a lecture is taking place are like writing it down like oh you did that uh, we can adapt that to our market so there's a lot of that but there's also teams who are always going to say let's do something new and of course that's what i want to focus on the most because i want my material to be new you know covering things that have never been done before but i think it is fun for fans to get a glimpse of really what it takes to create a promotion in terms of, yes, there might be legal elements, sponsorship elements, just overall budget elements. Um, as I said before, how you can loop in other departments within the staff to make it as you know blown out as possible. Um, you know, jerseys are kind of the starting point for a lot of theme night promotions these days. So working with whoever your vendor is, often OT sports, um, you know, for the feasibility of these kind of crazy jersey ideas uh, and on and on and on. So, you know, fans might show up and they'll be like, oh, that's kind of cool. This team's doing this kind of goofy thing. But I don't think the average fan, and it's no fault of theirs, really thinks about, man, like how many elements had to come together just to make this goofy thing happen. Also, don't forget, uh, there is a standing invitation out there for the first ever The Show Before the Show podcast night at a minor league ballpark. You can get in touch, podcast at MILB.com. Um, ben, the uh, the raft of national blank days uh, has provided some minor league baseball-related things um, in recent days. I know we, I think just a couple of days ago, at National Bobblehead Day. National Cap Day is coming up on January 15th, um, and we're, we're going to roll out some stuff on the site for that. Uh, first off, what's do you have a favorite? of these random days um you know every as we learn in minor league baseball every day is a random day you'll just log yeah. one day and it's like national margarita day and teams are like and somehow hey. every team knows it too there's got to be some site that notifies people of like here's it's national cat litter day and everybody's like that's a picture of a cat at the ballpark yeah i don't there, get it there are sites such as this uh, multiple uh, that have all these goofy, you know, official holidays, not that they're observed or you get time off from work. Although I challenge anyone to try to get time off from work for um, National Cat Litter Day, which is October 29th. Well, <laughs> National Cat Day is October 29th. But. Yeah, but, uh, you know, team, teams love this. One, it gives you goofy inspiration in the season to schedule a promotion around whatever national day it is. And in the offseason, it gives you social media uh, material. And uh, I think one uh, kind of tied into this, one blog post, been a little uh, absent on the blog lately, but one blog post I have coming up, you know, will be on uh, looking on significant anniversaries. Uh, for it's one of my favorite things you do every year. Yeah, and uh, you know, I always throw a few in there. The teams uh, don't do it all. No one celebrated the 40th anniversary of Fleetwood Max Rumors a few years ago. Uh, it was a great. It was a great idea. Yeah. Um. Anyway, anyhow, um, yeah. So it is now when the calendar turns. It is promo release season. I actually have an email from the Potomac Nationals in my inbox, and that'll serve as my starting point to start putting together my spreadsheet of promos for the 2019 season. They have their full uh, release out. I think they're the only team I've seen that has a full release out. Uh, but in the coming weeks and months, um, especially over the next two-plus months, it'll be uh, pretty soon a daily occurrence, and a uh, fairly big part of my job is just kind of uh, cataloging and getting prepared for everything that's going on. So when it happens, uh, we know about it. Um, National Cap Day coming up. Uh, do you have a favorite? I get this question a million times a year. Do you have a favorite hat in minor league baseball? A little you know, I'm not behind a... the curtain, we're going to – have a, a blog post in which some of us from the site discuss ours and nothing has given me more anxiety than pick out your favorite minor league hat. Yeah. You know, I'm not a cap guy as you are, Tyler. I mean, I enjoy good logos certainly, but I, I, it's not a, you know, sub 
it's not a part of baseball uh, fandom that I've particularly latched onto, but I like a good hat, hat as much as anyone. Uh, you know, I was talking to our coworker Kelsey, Kelsey Hennigan, about this. Hennigan. Hennigan. Yeah. <laughs> I almost said Hennigan. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kelsey. I've only known her for like five years. I'll, yeah, I'll get no. it right. Uh, <laughs> um, and I was like, you know what hat I really like? And in a way, it's like maybe being a little hipstery or ironic, but I love Canapolis Intimidators, like angry, high heel, the anthropomorphic K. <laughs> I mean, I know it's maybe not like a high heel. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's not technically a high heel, but there's something about That's that cap that, that is yeah, it's so bizarre. And I always gravitate towards the bizarre. And I don't know this, but, you know, the team, as we talked last week, is moving into a new stadium in 2020. Often rebrandings happen with moves to new stadiums. So I don't know what they're doing. This is not any information at all. But I wonder, like, could this be the last year of the Angry K? And if it is, savor it, folks, because we're, <laughs> we're not getting another one. I also love... Um, you know, it's iconic, but I love the Lake Elsinore eyes, yeah, just okay. the eyes on the cap. And, you know, living in New York City, you semi-regularly, not just New York City, but all over the country, you oh, see yeah, people no, you wearing see these caps, uh, com- completely Bunch. divested of any particular loyalty to Lake Elsinore, California, or the San Diego Padres farm system, but just as a good looking hat. And I think it's always cool when teams can do that. Of course, they want actual fans, but it's really cool to be able to sell your merchandise just because it looks cool. And teams obviously do that more and more as the years go on. For those unaware, by the way, Canapolis Intimidators named after Dale Earnhardt. Case, yeah, the Intimidator. Uh, in case you ever wondered as to where that name came from, he was part of the original ownership group. Um, and there's still, I don't know if there's an alternate logo that they still use, but they had an alternate logo for a while that was an eye with like a silhouetted Dale Earnhardt with his arms raised up over his head in celebration, which seems like a, it's kind of a weird logo crossover of a NASCAR driver as the logo for a minor league baseball team, but kind of a, a cool connection. Uh, Benjamin Hill, you can find on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. Uh, the making of a promo series first edition is up on the site right now. You can go check it out there. And uh, yeah, thanks, Ben. Hey, thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Sam. And uh, I want to close with a witty remark, but I got nothing. <laughs> That's okay. I never have anything. Thanks. Thanks. Wrapping up episode 191 of the show before the show. There's a couple really good stories on the site right now, by the way, um, that you should go check out in addition to Ben's stuff, which we talked about last segment. Um, we've got a story up on the site by uh, Michael Avalon, our good pal, who uh, wrote about Danny Muno, who is a prospect formerly in the Seattle Mariners organization and now is in the Seattle Mariners organization as a sales prospect. He is working as a corporate sales manager with the Tacoma Rainiers, the AAA affiliate uh, of, the, uh, of the Seattle Mariners. That's kind of a cool uh, transition story in a guy's career um and andrew batterfrano had a great story on clayt schmidt a detroit tigers prospect who uh battled cancer and uh is back uh is healthy um and is ready to kind of take his first big step forward in his uh his baseball career shouldn't say his first big step forward 2018 was kind of his uh establishment as a prospect and um, as a, a guy who is ready to be uh, an impact performer in the Detroit Tigers system. So a couple of really good stories up on the site right now, um, and you can check those out at MILB.com. Um, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's about it, right? Yeah, no, I don't have much to add to those other than um, Clay Schmidt. We also had it on the podcast earlier. We did. This offseason, so kind of pair those two together. If you you re- read Andrew's story first, for sure, um, he gets to go a little bit more in depth than we do on a podcast. Obviously, when it's basically a glorified Q and A, just with sound, um, he gets to fill in a little bit more details that we don't get to go into. Um, but if you want to hear Clay Schmidt tell his own story, uh, you know, with his own voice, uh, pair that with the podcast. I think that would make for a great, uh, you know. 30 minutes for for tigers fans looking for something to you know really root for in 2019 uh and this danny muno story what i love about it too is it's a perfect mix of uh you know a player falls in love with a minor league town he talks in the story about you know this is where i've settled with my family and this is where i've kind of come to love and, and the Rainiers found a spot for me so that we can kind of live here year round. It also tells a little bit of a story of what a life of a minor league leaguer is. Um, you know, sometimes these guys blow into town, they blow out of town, they've got to go home. They've got to, you know, find other ways to make money during the off season. Um, this is one unique opportunity, but it, it you know, 
all of these guys uh, are trying to find something to do in the offseason to get them to spring training. Um, so this is one specific example that uh, I don't think you hear very often. So definitely ch- check out uh, Avalon's story on Danny Muno. And that will do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.